Well, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, let me add my welcome this morning. My name's Alistair. I'm uh, really glad to be here with you. I've just got two things to get on your radar uh, before we get into the sermon. Uh, first, Phil thought it was important that I inform everyone that the colors, you know, like during the songs that you see on the screen, they're just colors. Uh, they're all from our rug. Like I took a photo of our rug and then pulled out colors. And you'll see that on Instagram too. I don't know why you need to know that, but Phil thought it was important. So I'm just <laughs> conveying that on Phil's behalf. Second, um, a member of the UBC Robson Square staff, Preeti, uh, you, you probably see her most weeks. Once a year, she likes to make us samosas. And she normally does it around Christmas, but the calendar was weird this year. So after the service, uh, Pretty is providing samosas. So uh, don't rush out, because they are incredible and, and gorge yourself. You won't regret it, I promise. Uh, when Ansley was six years old, she discovered that she could hit her younger sister with a flute. Uh, you know, a recorder, the thing you learn to play hot cross buns on. Ansley figured it could also be a sword. And so, obviously, I was unimpressed. This was not its intended purpose. And so I yelled, Ansley May, you can't hit your sister. Yes, I threw down the middle name gauntlet so she knew she really was in trouble. And Ansley, she started to cry, and she rushed upstairs to her room, and I gave her some time, and then I went upstairs to have a chat, to process the experience. And I made it clear to her, you know, it's not okay to hurt your sister, and she nodded. And then she said, she didn't like my stern voice, which was an incredible play on words for a six-year-old. <laughs> but the real kicker was Ansley said that my use of stern voice made her feel small. And I was just gutted. And so I apologized. I said, you're right. Daddy shouldn't raise his voice at you. And let's brainstorm different ways that I can speak with you when you're doing something wrong and I need you to stop. And she said, well, why don't you just tell me you want to use your stern voice. <laughs> Lesson learned. And let me tell you, whenever I lay down, Ansley, I want to use my stern voice. I have never seen a kid behave so well in my life. <laughs> but sometimes I forget the lesson, and I have to apologize and then try again. In this farewell series, Lessons Along the Way, I want to share some lessons I've learned over the past 10 years of being your pastor here. And all of these lessons, they've been gifts from God that have helped me follow him more closely. And like my experience with Ansley, some of these lessons were truths learned through mistakes. Some of them I'm still trying to learn, I'm trying to live by. And so along the way, I'm also going to apologize for some of the mistakes I still make. And I just want to name how strange it is to get up and preach when I know I'm about to leave in a few weeks. Uh, I will step down as your lead pastor at the end of the month and... It still feels surreal to say that. But I hope this series will help ground you in the presence of God, who is the God that is with us in everything always. And I hope that this series will act as a little bit of a compass so that we can point ourselves in the right direction as we move toward the future together. Uh, if you're a guest, uh, these sermons are more like a family conversation, but please lean in. Uh, I'm glad you're here, and I think these sermons will help you learn a bunch about who we are as a church and what we're all about. And over the next three weeks, I'm just going to th share three lessons, one about goodness, one about people, and one about Jesus. And this morning, I want to start with the one about goodness. We just read Psalm 27. Uh, I love this prayer of David. In it, he declares, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
And we didn't read Psalm 34. I love this one too. There David prays, taste and see that the Lord is good. And of course, we know like Psalm 23. Who doesn't love Psalm 23? Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. This is a huge theme throughout all of Scripture, the goodness of God. And so this sermon this morning, it's going to be more of a testimony than an exposition of any one of these passages. I want to reflect on our vision as a church and how we've slowly journeyed from joining God in the renewal of Vancouver to discover the goodness of God with us. Maybe you didn't even notice that change happened, but it has, and I want to talk about how it happened. And so this morning, I just want to look at three things, the backstory, the lesson, and paying attention. So the backstory, the lesson, and paying attention. So the first thing, the backstory. Maybe you've thought, how on earth did you come up with the idea of starting a new liturgical Anglican church in downtown Vancouver, the thing that nobody really wants? Can anybody tell me how that was a good idea? And you know, of course, I'm kidding, but it's, it's an odd idea. It's not the sort of idea that most people run with. So I just want to tell you how that came to be. Uh, the first church that I ever joined was in East Vancouver. It was a house church plant called the Open House, which was very confusing to invite people to because you could say, come to the Open House, and they think you're trying to get them to buy something. The vision, though, of the Open House was simple, and it was beautiful. Walking in a Jesus direction. This was back in the era where it was cool not to have Sunday services anymore, so we only met on Tuesdays, and we would have a meal, and we would study scripture, and we'd pray for each other, we would socialize, sometimes we'd go serve uh, on Saturdays somewhere in the city together, and I love this community because all the time, all the time, their pastor Kyle would ask, what would it look like if we actually did what Jesus says? That was the heartbeat of this community. Let's walk in a Jesus direction. And my life, it started to change. This was the first church I'd ever been a part of. Slowly but significantly, I changed as the people of the open house loved me into the person God made me to be. And so the open house was where I saw the goodness of God in the land of the living. This was the place it, it became real to me. And over the months and years that I was there, even though it didn't make sense at the time because I was just this baby Christian new in my faith, I started thinking maybe one day I'll be a pastor like Kyle because he helped me so much and I wanted to start helping people like that too. But I had just started my career in graphic design and thought being a pastor was probably a bad pivot and so I just tucked that away in my heart. The second church I ever joined was when I moved to Orlando, Florida. It's called Summit. And I'd never been a part of a church with Sunday services, so that was new for me. And they were also a relatively new church plant, but they were like three to 500 people as a new church plant. And then over the years, grew to thousands of people. So that was a pretty different experience than the 20 people I knew at the open house. But even so, in this different church, this bigger church, I continued to taste and see the goodness of God. And a pivotal, pivot, how do you say it? Pivotal? Pivotal. There you go. A pivotal moment for me, it was March 11th, 2007. I was alone in my studio apartment. All I had was like a bed, a bookshelf, one piece of art on the wall, and like two stools at the counter. Like that was my earthly possessions. And I was alone, 
And it was morning, I was wide awake, and I had an encounter with God, and I've never had an encounter like this since, and it terrified me. I felt like I was being electrocuted from head to toe, and I heard an audible voice repeat, God is alive, God is alive, God is alive, God is alive, and I was terrified, and so I said, God, please stop, and then a silence washed over the room, a silence that I've never experienced since, had never experienced before, and After this experience, this desire to help people the way Kyle had helped me, it came out of storage. God is alive. I've tasted it. I've seen it. I've known it. I I have to share this story with my life. And so I shared this story with the lead pastor at Summit, Isaac. And uh, Isaac didn't have a charismatic bone in his body. And so he told me to go to seminary, which was really good advice. (laughs) And... He also came alongside me and started giving me opportunities to explore ministry because I was still working in graphic design. Uh, He taught me how to preach and write discipleship resources and begin new ministries and help the people of God grow in Christlikeness. And so in these two churches, the Open House and Summit, this is where I discovered the goodness of God. And I wanted to pay it forward. And so over time, I started dreaming about church planting in Vancouver because the first church I ever had been a part of was a church plant. The second church I'd ever been a part of was a church plant. Frankly, any church you've ever been a part of at some point was a church plant. So I figured you just church plant. That's what you do as a pastor. And I shared my dream with the leadership at Summit and they said, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. And so I slowly transitioned out of my career in graphic design and started working for Summit and they gave me more opportunities to grow as a leader. I went through an assessment Uh, They sent me to New York for six weeks where Julia and I learned, uh, you know, at Redeemer City to City, how to plant a church in an urban environment. But I need to add this caveat just so I don't, you know, whitewash everything. Not every experience I've had in the church has been good. Uh, But even in the most troubling and tragic situations, even when I've had to walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I've never stopped carrying this sense that we can find the goodness of God in this place, in the land of the living, even if I'm not quite sure how. And I've needed the church. As messy and broken as the church can be, the church is also this beautiful reality of people stumbling with grace toward God who help you discover the goodness of God. And I have encountered the goodness of God in the land of the living. I've tasted and seen it for myself. And this is why I became a pastor. This is why I became a church planter. And this is what sustains and motivates my entire journey with Jesus, the goodness of God. So that's the backstory, thing one. Thing two, the lesson. Hopefully, if you've been at St. Pete's for some time, you know that we have a vision, joining God in the renewal of Vancouver. Now, I took this vision word for word, except for the word Vancouver, uh, from John Tyson in New York. I really liked the way he put it. I called him, said, could we have it? He said, yeah, mate, go for it. And uh, that's what we did. And so joining God in the renewal of Vancouver or some iteration of this over the years, we've always played with it a little bit if you've been with us a long time, but that's the gist of our vision, right? What does it mean to us? Well, in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter says, uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until the time for restoring all things. In Revelation, near the end, the apostle John hears Jesus declare, Behold, I make all things new. And so the arc of Scripture points us to this hope of this washing renewal that will change all of the earth. 
And the authors of Scripture, they're not closing their eyes to the brokenness of the world, but rather from within it, they point us to Jesus and this promise made. And this keeps us grounded. We don't just bide our time. We seek the kingdom of God here and now with our eyes set on this promise. Jesus one day will remake a new heaven and a new earth. And yes, this is ultimately the work of Jesus, but we're invited to join God in the renewal of all things as we seek his kingdom here and now, as we walk in the ways of Jesus for the sake of others, praying, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, in Vancouver as it is in heaven. This was the vision, joining God in the renewal of Vancouver. This is why we planted St. Peter's Fireside, and it captured how I long for people to find the goodness of God in the story of St. Peter's Fireside. I dreamed that through this new church, more and more people would find themselves and relate to this story from the Apostle Peter's life. And hopefully you know the story. At one fireside, he betrays Jesus. It's his worst moment. At the next fireside, he's restored by Jesus and sent into the world with grace. And the dream and the vision and the hope was that more and more people would encounter the grit and goodness and power of grace at their very worst and that their lives would be renewed and that they would go and see every area of their life renewed and that a group of people slowly and surely would influence and change the culture around us. You've probably heard me talk like this if you've been around for a while. This was the vision. It has been the vision. But the question is, How did it play out on the ground? Well, not exactly as I imagined. Now, if I'm honest, I envisioned that more people would come to know Jesus over the past 10 years. But I found that true conversion and genuine discipleship is slower and takes more time than I anticipated. You know, I imagined that we would have story upon story about how we're influencing culture But what I found is we're more like seeds scattered throughout this city than a plant that's fully bloomed yet. I've dreamed that, you know, through preaching, I could change lives and have discovered I can't even get you to sit at the front. (laughs) You see, although I became a disciple of Jesus in a house church of less than 20 people, my experience in Orlando where we baptized like 200 people a year instilled this quiet expectation that God was going to do something bigger through St. Peter's fireside. And even though I would have said, no, 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 I know Vancouver is hard, deep down I thought we're going to be the exception to the rule. I dreamt big, my friends. But what's happened here has been small and messy and slow and beautiful and significant. If you sit in a room with people who are about to start new churches, if you ever get to hang out with a bunch of church planters, which I've done over the years, you're going to hear a lot of vision. But I have never heard someone say, I can't wait to bury a founding member. I can't wait to walk alongside a couple who divorces. I can't wait to feel the heartbreak of people who leave the church or even their faith. I can't wait to publicly own my mistakes and apologize. You know, they always talk about the possibilities and the hope of something new and a different kind of church, a better kind of church, you know, a New Testament church, the good kind in Acts, not Corinth. (laughs) Idealism in these environments, idealism dresses itself up in a hopeful vision. 
And I have to admit, I came to Vancouver with this big idealistic vision. But I didn't know, at least not right away, I didn't know how to adapt it to something smaller, how to adapt it to what God was already up to in Vancouver and what God was doing in this particular place in time. You see, the problem is that you can idealize what a new church should be and forget what a church actually is. This is why the pastor, theologian, Nazi resistor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God hates the visionary dreamer. Ouch! Really, Bonhoeffer? Like, God hates me? Okay, he's making an overstatement, but he's doing it to make a point. So let's cut him some slack and figure out what he means. What Bonhoeffer was trying to convey is that there's a danger of a leader's ideals crushing the community when the community fails to live up to those ideals. Because the person with the lofty ideals, when they don't come to fruition, here's what they do. They either blame God, they blame the community, or they blame themselves. And throughout the journey, as St. Peter has not lived up to my ideals, at some point I have blamed God, blamed you, or blamed myself. And so after years of confronting the ideals I brought into church planting, First, let me say this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Genuinely. During the first few years of planting St. Pete's, I have to admit, I was striving after my dream more than striving to help our people. And I was earnestly trying to do both. Of course I was. But I felt the pressure to make this thing work, to, to succeed, to see the vision become a reality. And so there was an imbalance in how I led at first. Because I wanted St. Peter's to be more than it was. A story I'm just remembering, it's not in my script, but I'm going to share it, and this doesn't count as sermon time. Um, <laughs> after our very first annual general meeting, you know, I put together this like, beautiful booklet, and I cast all this vision about, like, yes, like, here's where we're going, here's what God's done, here's all the stuff that needs to be done. And Shannon Daly, sitting to my left, came up to me afterwards, and she said, um, gosh, like you didn't point out any of the good things that happened in the past year. You just told me everything that we're not doing right. Oh! <laughs> and it changed how I've done every vestry meeting since. So you can thank Shannon Daly. <laughs> but that's just an example, right? Like you can get caught up in vision that you miss what's happening. Because I wanted us to attain this vision because it was a good vision, but it was always around the corner and it never seemed to be quite attainable. And so at times, I would lead with this quiet or maybe not so quiet frustration that the vision always seemed to be out of reach. And I'm sorry. Genuinely, I'm, I'm sorry. My idealism dressed itself up in a hopeful vision. But leading out of idealism alone, it's not healthy for a church. It was a tough lesson to learn. I had to lay down my idealism. But the surprise was, I didn't exchange it for bland realism. Instead, I learned it's better to pay attention. So that's point two, the lesson. Point three, paying attention. Having walked as a church planter now for, you know, 10 years, I've become cautious about vision casting. I've tried to move away from vision casting and try to do what I call vision observing. Vision casting, you know, looks at what could be, and it tells you about where we could go. But vision observing looks at what's happening. 
what's taking place. And both are required, of course, in leadership, but I've tried to put more emphasis on vision observing. I've tried to learn not to strive so much toward the future, but to put my energy into discovering what God is doing in the present. And so rather than forecasting all the time, I've started asking with our leadership team, what's happening here? What's happening in and around us? And over the years, as we slowed down and we paid attention and we, we named what God was doing, we, we would sense him with us. And as we paid attention to what God was doing and where God may be inviting us to go, we followed him and we walked with him and it's been good. Uh, in his book, The Remarkable Ordinary, which you should read, Frederick Beekner writes, it seems to me almost before the Bible says anything else, it is saying that how important it is to be alive and to pay attention to being alive. Pay attention to each other. Pay attention to God as he moves and as he speaks. Pay attention to where life or God has tried to take you. What Beekner is saying is that with God's help, we can trade our eyes to see and to seek and to observe and discover, God is in fact with us. And so vision observing, it's less about optimism and hype. It's more about a trained eye and ear to see and hear God in our midst. And I've seen God at work in our city, yes, but more so I've seen him at work in our people, you know, in our kids, in our relationships, in our lives, in the everyday ordinary mess that this place can be and the beauty that it can be. And so the most incredible gift as a church planter has been to sense that God is with us here and now at work among us and to get to witness it and really see it unfold and to know that I'm not the one driving it. But we still do need a vision as a church. It's this catch-22, right? I'm saying, hey, I'm trying to be less about vision, but now I also want to tell you a little bit about vision. I'm just trying to approach it in a healthier way. For several years now, joining God in the renewal of Vancouver, it hasn't felt quite right. And it's, it's mostly been an intuitive sense. Some of it's been my resistance to vision casting, but it's also just grown as I've observed and watched what God is doing in this place, joining God in the renewal of Vancouver, although a very good and true vision doesn't seem to be our vision. The vision God has for us started to become clearer to me through our ado adoption merger with Emmanuel. Uh, if you're not familiar, just before the pandemic, we had hopes and dreams of becoming a church in two locations. And we partnered with a church in East Vancouver called Emmanuel to merge and do life together. And after many months of work behind the scenes and only one month of services, the pandemic happened and everything we dreamed of halted. And yet through this adoption merger, we developed a vision statement specifically for the East Vancouver location, a vision that we thought would express that unique place, discover the goodness of God with us. And it fit. And I love it because it gets to the heart of the adoption merger. Although Emmanuel became St. Peter's fireside, we didn't want to remain unchanged from the merger. We wanted their identity and their experience and their ethos to reshape who we are together. And we were convinced that our two separate churches truly could be better together. And this is why we went ahead with the merger. And it hurt that our dreams for an East Vancouver location didn't come to fruition the way we wanted because of the pandemic. But I want to say we were changed through this merger. 
We paid attention to what God was doing. And God clarified his vision for our church. Discover the goodness of God with us. Discover the goodness of God with us. And as I've learned to step away from my idealism and pay attention, what I've seen is that the goodness of God is this thread woven through my life, woven through my ministry, woven in this place. And so what does discover the goodness of God with us really mean? Well, it's a play on words. We want to discover the goodness of God with us. That is the goodness of Emmanuel, a name of Jesus that means God with us. So we were trying to honor the merger, discover the goodness of Emmanuel. That's what we were trying to say. And this was a surprising discovery in the ancient world, right? Like the long-expected Messiah was actually none other than God in the flesh. That wasn't expected. That was a new discovery. And then the way Jesus went about bringing salvation for the nations, not expected. A new discovery that he's going to save us from our sins and begin to reconcile all things to God through death and resurrection. You see, the entire story of the Gospels, all the writings of the New Testament, are people discovering the implications of the goodness of God with us in Christ. And so this posture of discovery, it's all about curiosity, following the trail, finding out what God is up to, course correcting along the way, and finding things we didn't expect. And what we want to discover is the beauty of God with us everywhere and all things. So discover the goodness of God with us, Emmanuel. But also discover the goodness of God with us. Play on words. We hope that people are going to discover the goodness of God here in this place, with this people, that you might discover the goodness of God dwelling in each person here. And if you're exploring faith, that you might discover the goodness of God with us in this place as you learn how to do life with us as a community. And so, yeah, it's a play on words. We want this church to discover the goodness of God with us, Emmanuel. And we want you to discover the goodness of God with us, St. Peter's. It's not bad, right? It's all right. And I think this captures, though, what we've been seeing in this place over the past decade. You know, St. Peter's has been this place where people who've been estranged from the church or walked away from the church or almost, you know, walked away from their faith, they've... They've come back and they've rediscovered the goodness of God with us over time. And alongside them are people who've discovered the goodness of God for the first time. Jesus has saved you and you've sunk into the waters of baptism and you've been raised into new life and you're discovering the goodness of God in the land of the living as you walk and do life with us. There are those of us, many of us, who've been following Jesus for quite some time and yet here at St. Pete's you keep discovering the goodness of God with us, whether that's through a renewed appreciation of the liturgy or a deeper sense of belonging in the community or even through the preaching, you're discovering that there's always more to discover about just how good and faithful God is with us, not just on Sundays, but in every moment of our lives. And of course, we've been working to make space, right, for other people to discover the goodness of God with us. That's why we run Alpha, and that's why we have community groups and outward partnerships so that people beyond the walls of our church have an opportunity to encounter the goodness of God. This is just who we've been. This is what we do. It's also where we're going. And so our hope is that whoever you are, whatever your story may be, wherever you are in life, 
you can discover the goodness of God with us. And it may take time, but what I've learned, that's our specialty. We walk slow and patiently and graciously. We sit toward the back at the pace of God's speed. (laughs) And so over the past few years, I've slowly but surely replaced joining God in the renewal of all things with discover the goodness of God with us. If you've been paying attention, it's been on the front of our website for a long time. And so today, we're just formalizing that change. And I don't want you to see this as like a parting gift from me exactly. You know, I've been planning to make this change for quite some time before I made the decision to step down. But Phil, he nudged me to make sure that I did it. And I ran it by our leadership team, and we all agreed, like, this really does articulate what's happening here. So this isn't like a unilateral decision where I announce a change, drop drop the mic, walk away and let you guys just deal with the ramifications. You know, this is a vision that we feel has emerged and more truly just been given to us over several years as we've showed up and paid attention to what God is doing. And so I want to end just by simply thinking about how do we go about discovering the goodness of God together. And the thing I really want you to learn and something that I've learned that's changed my life is pay attention You know, as you continue to walk toward Jesus as St. Peter's Fireside, as a church, don't aspire to be big. Don't aspire to be small. Don't aspire to remain the same. Don't aspire to idealism or realism. Pay attention to what God is doing and adapt to what he is doing. Or what scripture calls repent and believe. That's not always just about feeling bad all the time. It's about realignment of your life and walking in the same direction as Jesus. So pay attention to what the Lord is doing in this place. Because the vision statement, it might change again down the road, but you're only going to discern that if you show up and pay attention. And as you continue walking as a church, I just have a a soft lob exhortation. Don't come to St. Peter's because you like the liturgy. Don't come to St. Peter's because you like the music, or the preaching, or the kids' ministry, or the community, or because it's convenient. I mean, these are good things, of course, and they're factors of why you pick a church, but commit to this church because you want to live into this thing that has been and is continuing to happen. You know, commit to this place because you want to discover the goodness of God, the goodness of Emmanuel, with us, together, with the people in this room, that you want to walk together and figure out what it means to follow Jesus, that you'll deconstruct and reconstruct continually. Because again, that's just repenting, realigning, and believing, walking in the direction of Jesus. So if you're going to call this place home, if you're going to commit, great. But do it for the right reason. Do it because you want to discover Jesus together. That's why we value interdependence. Let me end by just going back to our passage so you get a little bit of scripture this morning. (laughs) When David prayed, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and taste and see that the Lord is good, he did so amidst troubling times. You know, in Psalm 27, David prays that his, his life is on the line. In that same prayer, he tells God about his enemies and how they're trying to destroy him. In Psalm 34, David wrote that when he was on the run out of Israel, driven out into the wilderness. And in that prayer, he's crying out to God. 
and still says, I'll taste and see that you're good. You know, these are not ivory tower prayers. They're prayers in the midst of troubling times. That even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of challenge, David was convinced he could counter the goodness of God, not in his life after death, but in the land of the living, even in the mess. And we've been in troubling times as a community. That we can hold on to this hope like David did, that we will encounter the goodness of God in the land of the living. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, personally, that's a prayer for me and Julia as we've, we've been planning to walk away. We're going into uncertainty. We're not totally sure what's next. But we know we can trust the Lord because he's good. And I know that all this change, it's, it's mixed for us, right? It's, it's challenging to be in the midst of all this transition and everything we've gone through. But for our service, uh, the pre-service prayer that we're now calling Narthex Worship. Narthex worship. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a cult. Someone shared an image, and um, <laughs> in that image, they saw, uh, Laura, what's that thing that painters have where they put paint on it? A palette. They saw an image of a palette. I'm a good artist, right? And um, they saw all the different colors of paint, and it was just such a mess. It's just such a mess. All these colors, like what, what, is, what is it adding up to? And the person said, I, they were looking at it, and God says, can you let me work with the mess? You see, when, when God's painting something, the process can be messy. It can be chaotic. We can't quite see how these colors are going to come together, but it's even in that chaos, even in that mess, even in, in not quite being able to see where this is going to go, what's going to be formed, there's a goodness at work. That in due time, we'll be able to step back and see what the painter has painted. That's what it is to hope in the goodness of God. Not that we ignore the mess or the pain or the challenge or the hurt, but we hold on to this hope that even through that, that the Lord is able to paint something beautiful. And I can say that because something beautiful is sitting right in front of me that did not exist 10 years ago. And it wasn't because I came and planted a church. It's because God wanted this church to exist at this time, at this place, for these people. Because I have learned Again and again, we can discover the goodness of God with us. Let's pray.